This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to find this sense of balance, and it just doesn't exist. Like I always say to everybody that we need to take the word balance out of our vocabulary. You can't be a mom and a good teacher with new curriculum and, you know, try and run a business and do all these things. You can't do them all at the same time. It's just, it's impossible. And sometimes things are up and you have to focus on them and other things need to be put down. And that's just the way life is. And I always think it's like a symphony, you know, like you can't have everything loud at the same time. And sometimes you need to like soften the horns to be able to hear the strings. And so sometimes you need to say to work, like you need to be quiet right now so I can be with my kids. And sometimes we have to say to our kids, you're down so I can get to know this new curriculum. And these are the things that make it really hard to do all of what we want to do. And we can't do it all at the same time. So we just have to find this synchronicity of like the, what is important at this given moment. And then we just do one thing really well. Someone said to me, you can... You can be healthy, you can have a clean house, and you can be a good mom, but you can't have all three of them at the same time. You know, like choose yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, and then, and then, you know, when one goes down, then the other two go, you know, like you just yeah. have to recognize that all things can't be all, all the time. I am so excited to have Lisa Bayless back on Kindsight 101. She actually came on the show at the beginning of my podcast and she talked about mindfulness and the importance of being mindful for educators. But there's a second component. She talks a lot in her workshops and her seminars about self-compassion. And so we wanted to do a deep dive into the three main components of self-compassion and how important they are for creating a sense of peace and just a sense of well-being. I have a feeling this is going to be a favorite episode because right at the end of our conversation, I asked Lisa to take us through a self-compassion meditation and it was really restorative. Lisa Bayless, thank you so much for joining me today on Kindsight 101. It's a delight to have you for a second time on the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back and it's always a pleasure to spend some time talking with you, Morgan. So last time we talked a lot about mindfulness and and your work with AWE, Awaken yeah. the Well-Being of Educators, which is a wonderful initiative and business that you have initiated to essentially help educators and administrators yeah. refill their cup. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it, things have just continued to grow and flourish and and it's exciting to expand on all of it. The awe retreats and the awe movement has, has just been blowing up and we're seeing more and more people come out and want to talk about their own practices of self-care and their practices of self-compassion and finding a ways to nourish themselves as a means of supporting their classrooms, right? Like the idea is when we take care of ourselves, we have a better capability to be with the students that need us on a regular basis. So that's been really exciting. And, you know, mindfulness has always been a really important journey to me too. And I'm happy to be back having more time to talk to you about it. Within the context of mindfulness, I think sometimes we really focus on the practice, the meditation, but really at the crux or sort of at the core element of mindfulness, there is this component of self-care and self-compassion that is really what 
what is the common thread within your practice and and the workshops that you do. And I'd love to talk a little bit more in a broader sense about what self-compassion is and how mindfulness fits into it, but how we can even expand upon that. Yeah, well, and thank you for bringing that. I mean, it's such a core piece of the work that I do. And, and my journey into mindful self-compassion has been a big piece of the last couple of years. And mindfulness is really this, you know, being aware and being present and knowing what's going on in your external world and in your internal world, using your sense doors to really sort of know what's happening out there and then bringing it into, you know, what's going on inside my body what are where are my thoughts saying what are my feelings feeling and it's this this gaining of an appreciation of paying attention and one of the practices that happens in mindfulness is often a loving kindness practice or sometimes in buddhism called metta and those are the practices that always resonated more for me when i practice mindfulness that this heartfulness always came out this intense practice of gratitude and love Um, for myself and for the people around me. And so learning more about mindfulness led me into learning more about self-compassion. And yeah, it's been a really interesting journey over the last little while to to discover what self-compassion is and how it can be so impactful, especially for us as educators in supporting our well-being as we're working with our students and we're working with other colleagues. And so on, on one hand, there is the mindfulness aspect of essentially self-compassion, which is the awareness, which is kind of the first step, right? Is being aware of aware of your surroundings, aware of your thoughts, letting yeah. them pass and just naming them or at least being being aware that they're there. And then yeah. pulling in that compassion piece is there's it's sort of like a separate part to it, right? Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Mindfulness is is steeped in tradition. Meditation is steeped in tradition over thousands and thousands of years. And and the loving kindness practices aren't new to that, you know, the heartfulness that goes out with it. But in the last few years, there's been a lot more research around mindful self-compassion as its own component in practice. And um, Kristen Neff and Chris Germer are two of my favorite teachers around this. And, you know, Kristen Neff came up with three components of mind. She calls it mindful self-compassion. And in, within those three components, the first one is this concept of mindfulness that that we have to have a sense of awareness of what's happening going on within us, what's going on in our body, what's going on with our thoughts, what's going on in our feelings, um, if we're to recognize that, you know, there's suffering or struggle going on within us. And so often we bring in self-compassion when there's a feeling of struggle or a feeling of suffering or there's a feeling of, you know, something doesn't feel right. And that usually comes up with that awareness first. So mindfulness is just this easy lead into paying attention to the fact that something's not right. Then she has two other components that go with this concept of mindful self-compassion. The second is, is that actually we all kind of feel this struggle. And when we start to pay attention to it, we realize that every, every human being is suffering and suffering, unfortunately is inevitable in our, in our world. And when we start to realize that, I'm not the only one who is lonely sometimes. I'm not the only one who, you know, feels hurt. I'm not the only one who has an inner critic that maybe tells me I'm not good enough sometimes. I'm not the only one who is disappointed and frustrated. And she calls this concept common humanity in that when we actually look out beyond ourselves, we realize that 
that there is suffering everywhere and that we don't have to be alone with it, that actually there's sort of a more of a connection. And it sort of abides that loneliness and it makes us feel this beautiful sense of like, I don't have to hold this all to myself. And then the third piece that goes with this concept of mind, mindful self-compassion is, is meeting that awareness and that connection with this loving kindness practice or presence that when we are aware that we're hurt and when we know we're not alone in it, that can we meet it with a real gentleness and tenderness instead of berating ourselves further? Can we maybe meet ourselves with this feeling of loving tenderness, maybe the way we might meet a dear friend or, you know, our own child or the children we teach, we would be very quick to be kind and gentle with other people in our lives. But so often we're do the opposite with ourselves. We're really hard on our own hearts. And the research around mindful self-compassion says that when we're actually maybe a little more gentle with our own heart and when we meet and treat ourselves with lovingness and kindness and gentleness that we actually increase our well-being and we increase our motivation to to feel better and and to meet the suffering with a little less harshness and it's a really lovely practice to be able to do that but not one that comes natural for most of us no and like a simple but not easy kind of framework so there's this mindful mm-hmm. awareness and then the recognizing and tapping into our sense of self within that common humanity and then finally yeah. the practice of loving kindness, speaking yeah. to ourselves as we would a friend or a child with the, the same gentleness. And I just think, totally. wow, I mean, that's huge. And mm-hmm. I, I would like to say that I consider myself a pretty compassionate person. I try to practice at least an outward sense of compassion toward others. And mm-hmm. I do struggle to mindfully be compassionate toward myself. And I know that that's not unusual. But when you find yourself in that place as a parent, as a teacher, as a caregiver, yeah. it can be, it can sort of take you by surprise. Like I am not always super self-aware about my feelings and I yeah. have to really be intentional about it. And I guess that's part of the practice of it is so that it doesn't catch you off guard and because you can like for me how it happens is I I will take on a lot and then I will feel perhaps a sense of resentfulness or frustration and if I'm not careful I lash out either at you know other people or myself Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and then the shame that comes afterwards and Mm. beating myself up for those yeah right (laughs) for those like bad feelings and I shouldn't be feeling this way and it's It's so true. Like if you were to just realize, look, other teachers are feeling like you do. Other moms are feeling the same way that you are. You are not alone in this struggle or this suffering, as you call it, right? It's so comforting. We're so unique to this problem. Like, and, and so often what happens is we think, oh, I'm the only one who ever feels this way. I'm the only one who gets this overwhelmed. I can't believe it. No one is under, would understand how, you know, debilitating this amount of pressure I'm putting on myself is. Or often the other thing happens. We do that. Oh, I can't have these problems. My, you know, we kind of get in this, this first world problems, like minor, minor insignificant, right? Like the suffering I feel. And we kind of push to either extremes. It's like my problems don't matter or my problems are so huge. Yes. And if we look at both of them as like, Suffering is suffering. Struggle is struggle. You know, when we recognize that we all have them, it seems to bring this a little level of just extreme down a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. I was it's listening to, one. I was listening to Kristen Neff on mm-hmm. a podcast recently, and what she said sort of brought me to tears. And mm-hmm. I think this is this is so central to your message is struggle. And I'd love for you to talk about your definition of struggle and and that suffering, but that we're resisting what is and we're mm. we're not allowing it in and we're mm-hmm. you know shooting all over it and mm-hmm. just not letting it be like not accepting it and that just really hit home for me yeah. why not accept it instead and then move forward totally well and she has a you know in the in the training that I've done based on her work and the work of Chris Germer's you know they have this beautiful formula that they they talk about is that you know that suffering is pain times resistance so pain is inevitable we can't stop pain from happening to us but the amount of resistance we put into it increases or decreases our suffering so you know if i'm if i'm really struggling with something you know if i've fallen and i've hurt myself and, and then i decide that like it's the worst thing that ever could happen to me and i you know i just wanted to go for a run and i can't believe this is happening and i decide that you know i'm just going to push through it anyways and then my leg gets feeling worse i'm i'm creating more resistance to the original pain that's happened which is then going to increase my suffering in the future right. but if i you know have hurt myself or you know, I'm overwhelmed at school and I actually recognize and I name it and say like, wow, this is overwhelmed right now. This is, you know, I'm in my body. I'm paying attention to it. I bet I'm not alone with this. Lots of people feel overwhelmed, you know, during report card time. And this is a really difficult time, but this is, this is not unique to just me. Holy crow. I bet other people are feeling this too. How can I be a little more gentle with myself? And we see how the resistance to the struggle goes down and then our suffering goes down. And it's this really lovely connection to, to you know, we cannot stop some of the, the things that happen in our life. We cannot stop the busy times in our life. We cannot stop the, the, the challenges, the people, the, the things that will cause us pain. But we can maybe limit the amount of um, resistance we put on it. So we can limit our suffering when it comes to it. And then we can meet that suffering because it's going to happen with just, again, this loving presence of like, wow, honey, you're hurting right now. This, this one too, she hurts. And, and, you know, that's okay to feel that way. You don't, it won't feel forever. Right. Mm. We know that, you know, pain and suffering, it's, it's impermanent. Nothing lasts. Joy, any feelings, right? They're impermanent. They just, we want more of the good stuff, but we want less of the bad stuff. And when the bad stuff comes up, it's like if we can just name it and sit with it for a few minutes, it tends to dissipate a little bit faster. Hmm, that's so beautiful. I was going to ask you actually, when we're beating up on ourselves, mm. some of the ways that we can lean into that self-compassion. And so you've, you sort of outlined some questions that you could ask yourself. Is there a way that we could, because I think about it, it's it's easy for me to conceptualize right now because I'm feeling pretty self-regulated. I'm feeling yeah. pretty good. But yeah. I think about it when you're in the heat of the moment. Is mm-hmm. there are there maybe some simple questions or yeah. a framework that would draw your attention back to that self-care and that totally. self-compassion? Totally. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, I think sometimes in as educators, when we're feeling good, it's like, ah, oh, there's no problem. And then all of a sudden we get hit by this, like, you know, September chaos or the report card time or the, you know, all these moments. And or as parents, it's just like all of a sudden everything builds up at the same time. And we forget to sort of take a pause and create a little bit more space between our reaction 
and our response, right? So, you know, there's that quote around the st- creating the space between our stimulus and our response that Viktor Frankl says. And mm-hmm. and the nice thing around self-compassion is, is there's a little, you know, I have a little mindful, they call it a mindful self-compassion break. You just p- stop and pause. Like when you start to feel those feelings of, overwhelm or you start to hear that inner critic right that that terrorist in your brain that's like you're not good enough or this is so bad or you'll never be good at doing this like we all have this terror I like to call it a terrorist in my brain they just kind of take over sometimes and um the the first piece again is if we remember those three components of the the mindful self-compassion the first one is that awareness Ooh, right Ooh, hello terrorist or hello suffering or hello struggle or hello overwhelm it's that it's that mindful paying attention and so pausing enough to just know something's not right is the first thing and then naming it like oh here I am this is this is the awareness and then actually doing this practice of I'm not the only one who feels this right we've just sort of done this this is this is not a normal you know other people are struggling to everyone's uh, first oh I bet I'm not the only one with an inner critic right now I bet other people feel these feelings too and then meeting that inner critic with some gentleness or kindness, right? That, that loving kindness practice and, and saying, Ooh, honey, that, that wasn't very nice. What you just said to yourself right now, like maybe we just need to take a step back and sometimes just taking even that 30 second pause is enough to catch our breath to say, slow down a little bit. And sometimes we need to do it over and over and over and over again. And this is why it's a practice. You know, it's not something that we do once and we're like, yeah, I good. I got this. This is a lifelong journey. And, and, and we dive into it and we embody it more and we, and we go through the different trainings and the works and it gets a little bit more space each time. So Right. So first is to pause and yeah. name that awareness or the, the things that you're aware of. And then yeah. secondly, remind yourself that it's very likely you're not the only one, which is comforting because, again, you realize, oh, wait, I'm part of this group that yeah. of people. and we're humans we like to belong right we like do. There's this innate belonging that we all want and so when we realize that we're not isolating ourselves we're actually bringing ourselves more into connectivity it feels a little less frightening yeah and then finally this piece about meeting that with the kind mm-hmm. words as though you were speaking to someone else I think that probably for me would be the hardest because it feels yeah. almost stilted it's like you almost have to have a frame sentence in your head to remind yourself to speak that way to yourself I don't know if yeah. that's strange or what but that's kind no. of <laughs> and it's, you know I teach, I teach this in an eight-week course and a lot of the the you know each week we're building on these these frameworks of sentences and things that we can say to ourselves one of the practices I always do is I stop and I pause and I have a daughter who's almost eight and I think would I say this out loud to her Mm. would I say what I'm saying myself right now to my daughter? Would I want her having these messages in her head? And I'll tell you that in the last couple of years as I've been practicing this, it has shifted the way I talk to myself because I think if I don't want her telling her that she's not good enough or that she'll never succeed or that people will you know, not like her because the way she walks in her room, then I don't need to say those things to myself. Like, I really have to, I have to catch myself and think like, would I want my daughter hearing those voices in her head? Then no, then I need to make sure that I'm not saying them to myself. And, you know, if we don't have that special loved one in our, in our head, but we work with, you know, kids in classrooms, I often think too, like, would I say this practice to a student that I work with? And I've actually done a practice like this. I I work in counseling and in schools and I had a, a student come in 
and she was just having such a hard time with herself, you know, just berating on herself, these teenage angst of, of, you know, insecurities. And we started talking and I said, you know, I just hear how, how awful you're being to yourself. And I said, do you have a, a little person in your life? And she's like, well, I have a cousin who's four. And I said, I want you to, you know, all those things you just told me about yourself. I want you to pretend that she's sitting here in the chair and I want you to tell her all those things. And she just looked at me, she burst into tears. She said, I would never would never say those to somebody else. And I said, right. But somehow you're saying that to that inner child within you and she's hearing them right now. And that hurts. Like we have to stop hurting ourselves so badly. We have to stop being so mean to ourselves. And when we start to catch ourselves and think about like, would I want a little person hearing these things? It sure shifts on how we start talking to ourselves. And it's not easy to jump into like, I can be kind and I can be loving. But sometimes it's just enough to be like, whoo, okay, may I be just enough in this moment? In just this moment, may I pause just enough to be loving to myself in this moment? Sometimes that's enough to take the edge off. Wow. I mean, that, I mean, that makes me tear up because I think Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so true. It's Mm -hmm. when you think about flipping it and actually saying some of that inner monologue out loud, it's Mm -hmm. pretty powerful. And I think we all have that critic inside. We do. And Mm -hmm. that makes it pretty real, right? That must have been a powerful, powerful thing for her. Yeah, it was for her. And again, like it's been the powerful practice for me. And so, and I always try to remind people, like, it's amazing that when we start to, because the first piece again is hearing those voices for, for many of us, they're so ingrained that we don't actually recognize we're being so harsh on ourselves. Yeah, That's the mindfulness piece. This is the, the learning to tune in, the learning to pay attention. Whoa, holy crow, that voice in my head was just so unkind. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We got we got to be able to hear it, and then we ought to be able to stop it and say like, "Whoa, that's it." I, and I I've learned through my practices of sitting with it is to almost to bring light to it. Like, "Whoo, you you're being harsh today, sweetheart." Like, <laughs> where's the you know to bring a little comic relief in yeah. and be like, "Wow, you went deep and dark. We don't need to go there today." <laughs> what is yeah. it about looking at ourselves through that exterior lens that makes it easier to be compassionate with ourselves? Like, it's yeah. funny, isn't it? Yeah, it really, and, and for many of us, you know, we're so good at giving compassion out that the thought of bringing it in, just we've been trained in society that's selfish, it's hard to look at within ourselves, and and yet when we start being tender with ourselves, you know, it also brings up a lot of vulnerability. It's like, ooh, there's some dark hurt in there, and and I always, when we do these practices in, in workshops and, and retreats, and we don't go deep right away, I always say, like, pick a situation that's like a three out of four out of 10. If you're just leaning into this, like don't go nine out of 10 stress levels in your life because right away you're just opening the floodgates. We want to, you know, we want to titrate here with, with safety and with being okay with ourselves. So we pick something easy and then we'd be like, Oh, you know, like that little thing that happened in my life, I can just pay attention to that. I'll start with the small things. And then eventually we start to build up this beautiful softness. And eventually when the hard things, the really hard things come, we can be a little more gentle with it slowly. And it's not something we just dive deep into. Right. It kind of reminds me, you've worked with Sean Acor. It reminds mm-hmm. me of his Zorro circles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just, the, it's the, you know, I think if we jump in too quickly into anything, we tend to scare ourselves a little bit more. So when we give ourselves the opportunity to go slowly and, you know, this is the other thing. I mean, I've over the last few years, I've cre- created a mantra for myself and it's, it, it goes, go slow, stay present and just trust. Mm. And I say those three things over and over again 
when I get overwhelmed, when I get, you know, into a state or when I'm struggling through something, it's just like, I have to slow down and I have to be present because there's only this moment, you know, this moment, you and I talking, this is the only moment that exists at this time. And we get so caught up in thinking about things we had said or done in the past or how we plan our future. I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm a planner and organizer and I'm very often in my future and it takes me a lot of work to just come back and be like here in this moment right now, what's here? How can I be gentle in this moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think, Mm -hmm. I think educators tend to be that way. And I think this is such an important message. Yeah. We often, yeah, yeah, we often hear the words self-care and, Mm. And I think this is obviously part of this self-compassion piece. And we often think about, you know, pedicures and massages mm-hmm. and time away for yourself. And But that's not exactly, like, from your perspective, checking off the yeah. list of activities that are quote-unquote self-care activities isn't really deeply fulfilling. It won't necessarily refill your cup. So No, not long-term. Yeah. What are some examples of self-care? care or self-compassion practice and what Uh, it might look like yeah self-care I always say self-care is a discipline not an indulgence right like there's this this you know I love I love going for a pedicure I love a hot bath with a cup of tea you know there's these these moments that I can you know slow myself down that help me but real self-care it's it's a discipline it's a practice it's you know finding moderation in things it's having you know one glass of wine not a whole bottle it's (laughs) you know it's having boundaries with yourself and with your colleagues and with your people and knowing like this is all I can take right now and I need to stop it's prioritizing the important things. It's, you know, saying I'm going to only watch one episode on my Netflix series right now, not four so I can get to sleep so I can get myself up in the morning and go for my run before work. It's, you know, not getting caught up in the drama outside in the world that's so easy to get caught up in or in the drama that you're creating in your own inner inner world, right? Mm-hmm. It's really um, loving yourself deeply and giving yourself permission to make wise choices with your life. And and it's doing it every day, every month, over and over and over again. It's big choices that we make to really show up in the world on purpose, intentionally, and to do it so that we're looking after ourselves. And, you know, self-compassion and mindful self-compassion has this beautiful quintessential question that it asks always, and it's the quintessential question is, what do I really need right now? Mm. Like when I, when I pause and I slow down, like, yes, a glass of wine would be great. Or, you know, a bubble bath is lovely or a night out with my friends is very fun. But if I actually slow down and I think, what do I really need right now? Maybe it is that night with my friends because I need to connect. What do I really need right now? I need to just slow down and cuddle my kids. Mm. You know, it's, it's the, I need to move my body. You know, sometimes we think we need to rest and relax and we get, you know, into those lovely series on our on our Netflix episodes. But then we realize actually what I really needed was to move my body because I've had a really stressful day. And and so the nice thing about mindful self-compassion is it starts to say, you start to hear that question in your head. And it's not this, you know, superficial, what do I really need right now? It's like we're peeling away the layers of an onion to really dig deeper into what is it that's going to help me as this human being in this human body right now look after myself and really care for myself at its at its core. Wow. And what I hear too is sometimes what feels good 
immediately isn't actually self-care. And that's, that's huge. I love how you describe that because I think sometimes it's about aligning our choices with our values and our vision for ourselves because Mm. yeah, it feels really great to have that donut. But if you're going to feel badly about it later, because it doesn't actually align with the choices that you want to be making, then that's not eat the cupcake is not really self-care, even though we see it on bumper stickers, right? Unless you're you're feeling like you want to enjoy life and have frivolous moments. You know, it's kind of, it's really, that's such totally. an interesting distinction. This idea of it's not an indulgence, it's a discipline. That's powerful. And we, not, and we don't, you know, like we work through values a lot. And when I teach the eight week course, we look at like, what is important to you? And, and if you eat the cupcake and you enjoyed it, then be kind to yourself that you enjoyed it in that moment. Yes. But if all of a sudden you're shooting on yourself and you're just like, I shouldn't have eaten that thing, then you're not being very kind to yourself. And so, again, like to me, self-care, self-compassion is the ultimate act of self-care. It's the deep level of, of love and caring for ourselves. So if we choose to eat, you know, something like a cupcake, which, you know, we all can deserve a cupcake and enjoy sure. it all the time, <laughs> fully love it. But then be okay with that decision and meet yourself with this gentleness and then say, but next time, you know, if I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by this and notice it, that's the mindful piece that, you know, I'm feeling a little stressed about, I ate that because it doesn't really align with my values. Next time, I think I'm going to just pause for a moment and say, do I really want this cupcake? Right. And then am I really being kind to myself by eating it or am I doing it just because I'm, I'm on autopilot instead of paying attention? What do I really, really need? Is it the cupcake or is there something else, right? Yeah, yeah it's a powerful yeah. distinction. You just recently went on a retreat, a silent retreat, and I would imagine that that was a choice that aligned with some of your self-care and compassion values. Can can you talk about that? I, I can only talk from my own experience. Um, you know, I, I choose to go on retreats to really embody the practices so that as I teach them, um, I, I know them from a lived experience. So, and, and because it's really good for my, you know, my nervous system to just decompress and, and get out of the world for a little while. So retreats are a really powerful practice in starting to learn to pay attention to your inner world. Right. So, um, I had the opportunity to go on retreat. It was six days in noble silence, which means we drop in and we, we really aren't, noticing or paying attention to anyone else around you and you're really taking the time to drop into your body you're taking the time to like notice the thoughts man I have a busy mind like this this mind is not still and then there's the time to really pay attention to your heart and whoa yeah there's a lot of emotions in there that we feel and when I paused and, and paid attention to that, I also found an enormous amount of love and heart and and loving kindness that I was able to give out. And there's, you know, the nice thing about loving kindness practices is you also feel immensely full of gratitude. I love to sit with others. I love to 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 be with others. And one of my strengths is I can hold space when people hurt. And I and it's a gift that I really I'm, I'm grateful that I can do that. But for me to be able to have the capacity to do that, I need to re reinstill my own capacity. And so I sit on retreat to make sure that I am full so that I can continue to do the work that I love with so many other people. What what is it like reintegrating into family and yeah. regular grocery store life yeah. when you've gone yeah, it's on a little a, stimulating. Like that. <laughs> but you know it's funny I I'm 
I think we change as we age a little bit. And over the last many years, I've always I've considered myself more of an introvert over the last many years. And because I really love my time away and I love to be in retreat and I love to recharge on my own. But I find when I'm on retreat, my extrovert tendencies come out and I just, <laughs> I look at people. And I'm like, oh, I just want to know you and I want to, you know, I want to hold space for you and I want to. And so I part of me is overstimulated by the amount of things to pay attention to and see and hold. But also I just want to like wrap people up in my arms and, Aww. and just be with them again and, and to recharge with their energies and to say like, I really see you. And so I, you know, I've spent six days just sending out all this love to people in my life and to people in my core and to my inner world and to all the the teachers and learners that I've been with over the last, you know, many years of my life and to all the teachers and learners that will come in my future and, and so, you know, for me, integrating back, it's this overstimulating and also highly energetic capacity to just be with people again. Oh, cool. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Is there anything that you'd like to add to the conversation that we didn't really get to touch on today? As you and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years and, and, and as I and I have learned where more of my passion is, it's just around, you know, this practice of really giving educators permission to care for themselves. And the more I can implore people to say, like, find this practice around being kind to yourself, this loving, you know, loving connected presence to yourself, the, the practice of self-compassion makes it easier for us to do the hard things like care for our bodies and, you know, eat well and move our bodies and do all the things that we know we're supposed to do and that we often should on ourselves for. Mm -hmm. And when we love ourselves, it makes it easier to love other people. And when we love other people, we're better teachers and we're more connected. And we, you know, then we're there doing the work that we always wanted to do, which was, you know, bring insight and, and beauty into the world of our learners and, and help them to see the path that they want to do. And when we do that from a place of real presence, it sure makes it easier for our, our learners to learn with us. Um, dive into that. Contact me if you have questions. I love it. I'm running. If you in the Victoria or Lower Island area, I've got an eight-week mindful self-compassion course coming up in October, and we have another awe retreat coming in September um, here in Victoria. And more is coming. Like it's just so exciting to see how this is growing, and and I love to share it and I love to talk about it. And I've been on the retreats, and they are so amazing. Like you, you come back and you feel recharged and restored and I think mostly is I felt realigned right yeah With who I really am which is so yeah. powerful can yeah. can you tell us where people can find you as well yeah lisabayless.com is my website and all the information about any upcoming retreats um, workshops that I'm hosting or um, eight-week courses are on my website um, and you can follow me through social media through that webpage too. So that's lisabayless.com. And I'm sure you'll link into that for me. Yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's just stay in touch because I love to share. You can also email me at info at lisabayless.com. My one question to you, and it may be, it may be really obvious, but I wonder if it's something unexpected, is basically what habit, belief, or behavior have you adopted in the last five years that has changed your whole outlook on life? I mean, that's such a beautiful question, right? For me, that's really shifted me is this concept of talking kindly to myself as I would to my daughter or to a student that I work with. Like it stopped that inner critic a little bit. We all have one and it doesn't go away. But when all of a sudden I've been able to 
slow down and say like, is this voice inside me that's hurting me more? Is it serving me right now? Or is it just making my life harder? You know, thinking again about that, you know, I have pain. Am I adding to my suffering by creating more resistance to it? Can I, can I find a little more gentleness, tenderness to myself in this moment? And it has opened up my ability to connect more with people, to be more patient with myself and with other people, especially as a mom, like my kids are, you know, they're in grade school now. And and I think of myself when they were very young and how, how quickly I would get agitated and frustrated and how hard it was. And I think now the amount of patience that I have for them in their suffering and when other people are struggling, because I have opened that capacity within myself has really shifted and changed my practice in my life. Mm, Great answer. All right, let's All right. let's try this closing meditation. Yeah, let's do it. So my invitation to you and to, to anybody who else is listening is just to maybe find yourself in a really comfortable position for a moment, allowing yourself to just sort of ease into however you're sitting. If you're driving and listening to this, then keep your eyes open. But if you're you know, able to pause for a second, we'll just do this for about five minutes. So if you're able to pause and close your eyes, I invite you to just close your eyes or lower your gaze, whatever feels safe and easy for you. Maybe taking a deep breath or two just to pay attention to your body for a second. And as we're sitting here in this practice, I invite you to think of a situation in your life that's causing some stress. Could be a, a health problem a relationship problem or something at work or any other struggle. But choose a problem that's in the mild to moderate range, not a big one, as we want to build this resource of self-compassion gradually. So, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being an intense reaction, think of something that's a 3 or 4. And see if you can visualize this situation clearly in your mind's eye. What's the setting? Who's saying what to whom? What's happening? What might happen? Can you feel any discomfort in your body as you bring this difficulty to mind? And if you can't feel a little bit of discomfort, then maybe pick a slightly more difficult problem. I want you to invoke a little bit of discomfort. Now try saying to yourself, this, this is just a moment of suffering. This, this moment is suffering. This, this here, this is mindfulness. Maybe other words like, oh, ouch, this hurts, or this is stressful, this is hard. Brings into that awareness in your body and your thoughts that, that this suffering is occurring. Now try saying to yourself, suffering is a part of life. This is that common humanity piece that we talked about that all people suffer. Maybe we need to add tones like, I'm not alone. Everyone experiences this, it's not just me. Or this, this is how it feels to struggle in this way. This is how people feel when they struggle. And if it feels right to offer yourself maybe a gesture of soothing touch, could be a hand on your heart or 
cupping your hands together, sometimes a little tenderness towards our body reminds us that we're present. And if that doesn't feel right, then just stay in whatever posture you are in and try saying to yourself, may I be kind to myself or may I give myself what I need? Perhaps there are particular kinds of kindness and support that you need to hear right now for this difficult situation. Other options could be things like, may I accept myself as I am? Or may I begin to accept myself as I am? May I forgive myself? May I be strong? May I be patient? And if you're having a difficulty finding the right words, imagine that a dear friend or a loved one is having the same problem as you. What would you say to this person? What simple message would you like to deliver to your friend heart to heart? And see if you can very gently offer that same message to yourself. knowing that just in a few moments, we've been able to bring to light a mindful awareness, a sense of connection to others, and a loving kindness message. And that in these just short practice, you can offer yourself these three simple moments whenever a suffering or struggle comes up. And I invite you just to take one more moment to reflect on how this experience of this practice was for you. Did anything, did you notice that anything got evoked through saying this is a moment of suffering or noticing that you weren't alone? Or did a loving kind phrase come into your mind and can you hold on to that for a few moments? Sometimes it takes a bit of time to find language that works for you personally and that feels authentic. So allow yourself to be a slow learner. Eventually you will find the right words that resonate in your heart. And very gently bringing your awareness back to whatever space you're in allowing yourself to come back into this world and recognize that this self-compassion break can be offered to yourself at any point. It was like a deep, deep breath. Yeah, and a loving one, right? Mm -hmm. Just that we can just give ourselves that. And you can do this within like seconds. Ooh, there it is. Or you can take this and sit with it for moments longer, as, as long as you need. 
and those phrases, whatever they come up for you, to offer yourself them over and over again as a, you know, really integrating them into your heart, into your head. Thank you so much, Lisa. This has been My pleasure. such a wonderful conversation and inspiring and practical. And I know that people are going to love that meditation at the end as well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. And I'm so grateful to be able to share this message and for you to have this as a part of, you know, what you're doing already and sharing kindness and love. And I'm so grateful for your gift, which is this creative way of sharing all of these people's strengths in the world. I'm just honored to be a part of it. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.